Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. What does science have to do with recruiting? That is the question that we are talking about today for our second episode of what has been a recruiting-themed week. If you are a fan of assessments, especially personality assessments like the Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or the ever-popular Enneagram, you are probably going to like this episode today. We're not talking about personality assessments, but we are going to talk about how to assess people's behavior, and I am put on the hot seat. Our guest today is the CEO of Amber Hurdle Consulting, which is a multi-award-winning talent optimization firm that pioneers using both science and marketing principles to strengthen customers' brands from the inside out. She helps overcome costly business problems like ineffective recruiting, turnover, underperformance, declining morale, and leadership gaps by clearly connecting her clients' personal strategy to their business strategy. She also understands how to accelerate success. She is a teen mom turned powerhouse businesswoman who has worked with celebrities, executives, and Fortune 100 companies. She loves uniting the power of personal, employer, and business brands. Here is Amber Hurdle. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm honored to be here. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Yeah, let's do it. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Oh, let's see here. Um, I think probably the very first thing is to believe the good in others. Um, I, I just have to hang on to that. Even people that you think are total tools have good in them. And um, we just have to remember that everybody shows up with a wagon of experiences that they drag behind them. And until you unpack that, you don't know why they behave the way that they do. Um, And so while you have to be careful with that, because, you know, you can certainly get a bad boyfriend or bad girlfriend by seeing something in somebody that they choose not to see in themselves. But believing the good in people helps to at least start at a baseline, have an open presence and posture towards people. And I think that you do better in life that way. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is self-aware, humble, and visionary. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? You know what? I think I'm going to go back to you know, what makes me tick? What makes you tick? I think if you are self-aware and you understand what makes you unique and how you can bring your gifts and talents and service to others, then you can see and harvest the greatness in others. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Oh, wow. So many. I I, I think my favorite book, I'm just going to have to keep going back to that. My favorite book of all time is A Man's Search for Meaning. 
And, um, and I think that when you can get down with having your mind overcome whatever your circumstances are, then you can really do great things in life. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Enroll in U University, figure yourself out, understand why you are valuable and you are valuable. So you have to be able to figure that out and articulate it and then leverage that so that you get to do all the cool things you're meant to do in this life. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why? (laughs) Definitely why. (laughs) I think that if you approach life with curiosity and not judgment, then you get to have a more abundant life. And it's okay to ask why if you don't agree with something. Um, And and if if the question really is why not, you can still you can still say why, like, okay, let's think of my 17 year old son. You can't go to the basketball game tonight. And so he can ask why not. And that's a very, you know, negative connotation, or he can ask why and be open to perhaps something he didn't understand because you need to get your homework done. So you could get into the college that you want. (laughs) Well, Amber, we are here today to talk about your business and the way that you think about working with people to hire and to optimize their businesses. I know you have a lot of insight in this area. And one of the unique things that you do, and we said this in your bio, is you combine science and marketing principles. And just to start off, I'd love to hear your thinking behind that, how you do it, and maybe some of the the circumstances that brought you to that approach. For sure. Um, So my whole background is in public relations, marketing, and branding. I've been doing it for about 20 years. And um, it it comes naturally to me, and I have multiple degrees, blah, blah, blah. Um, So what the reality is, is that in North America alone, and 2017 is the most recent statistic I can find, hopefully this year we'll get a new one, North America spent $20.6 billion, that's billion with a B, $20.6 billion US dollars on market research. So what we do in marketing is we get into the minds of, of the people that we want to sell to. So we create ideal customer profiles. We um, conduct the market research. That can be everything from, you know, having uh, cookies attached to you when you're surfing the internet, which is why you're seeing, you know, you could have... Um, ads that follow you around. It could be, you know, whatever you swipe at the grocery store to get your discount. Um, You know, obviously it's inflated pricing. They just want you to swipe it so they can understand your purchasing habits. So there's a lot of intention going around the science and the data behind how do we acquire market share? How do we get our ideal customer to want to do business with us um, initially and then repeatedly? And so that helps us then refine not only what they respond to, but also the emotional connection that we can make with them through our marketing and our advertising. The challenge is we have entire workforces where no money We go from $20.6 billion trying to attract the business, and then we don't invest money into our employees who are the people who are actually delivering on the brand promise that we've spent so much money being able to articulate. So just like we collect data to gain market share, I like to collect data to know what makes our employees tick. 
what what is it about your team that you need to understand in order to to empower them to deliver on your brand promise or deliver on you know what you're selling to to the the um, your external stakeholders so i use people data there's lots of ways that you can use data. I mean, there's turnover statistics and and all that kind of stuff. And there's homegrown data you could do like exit interviews. But but I like to use scientifically rigorous assessments. And the 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 baseline one I love to use is um, is a tool that measures your innate needs in a work environment. And then if we understand those needs, then we can understand what drives your behavior. So we can predict your behavior. Um, there's other assessments within this suite of tools called the predictive index that you can use like a cognitive assessment. So we can see how quickly you ramp up, like how quickly do you absorb and process information? Um, and then I have another tool that I use, um, which I've been certified in for forever, um, called the fascination advantage assessment. And I use that in order to really be able to analyze how people show up at their best. So how, how are you most influential? So the first piece is we need to understand, are you a behavioral fit for this job? If I hire you and I put you behind a desk and you do monotonous routine tasks with a high degree of um, excellence that's needed, like we are going to be audited and you're really not going to have a lot of uh, FaceTime with other people and I, and I need you to be independent, like you need to like your own ideas because you're going to make this happen. And then I hire somebody who loves working with other people, who maybe sees the rule book more as a suggestion book. And maybe they need things to be a little more um, fast paced and ever changing with competing priorities. And, you know, they kind of like to go with the group, whatever the group thinks is fine for them. If I put that person, no matter what their resume looks like, no matter what they're carrying into that interview with the briefcase, if I put that person in that job, they're going to leave me <laughs> because it's not a behavioral fit. Um, and in the way that we have we deal with turnover nowadays is uh, is very concerning, and we just don't have the flexibility when there's 0.8 applicants for every open position to have a mishire like that. It's just costing us too much money. So when you talk about behavioral fit, do most jobs require a specific type of behavioral fit? And is there any flexibility for people to work into jobs? Because I know that, first of all, when an organization is looking for someone, uh, sometimes it feels like they can't be too choosy. <laughs> also, there are people who are looking for jobs and they really just want to find work. And I yeah. know that long term, if it's a bad fit, then it won't be good for them or the organization. But is there some flexibility there or does your temperament and personality, uh, you can tell from the beginning whether or not you're going to be a good fit for that job? Well, there's personality and then there's behavioral drives and those are two different things. So, I mean, when you're looking at your behavioral drives, that's not like a Myers-Briggs where this is how you psychologically see the world. This is like what you your DNA says is what you need in a work environment. Hmm. So the answer to your question is for me, if we're going to create ideal customer profiles in order to attract business, we need to create ideal employee profiles in order to attract the right candidate. Because here's what's happening. We're hiring people because we need a warm body in a seat. And that person is who is impacting our employer brand, meaning it's, it's impacting the culture. It's impacting how other people perceive the business. And if they're miserable on their job because their innate needs are not being met, 
then that's not working out too well for um, for everybody else because that's a that's a negative connotation. Then what's going to happen is they are going to be um, a part of the massive turnover that's going on right now, where one in three people leave their jobs within the first six months crazy, right? <laughs> and so it's just costing us money anyways. And by the time we think that we're getting them ramped up, they're out the door because they're just not a behavioral match. So for me, there are a couple factors that I look at in the data. And this is very easy to for anybody to assess. I mean, this is like the easy button for hiring. Um, but there's two markers on that where if those aren't right, I can I would bet my life savings that it's not going to work out for you. Um, Now, that being said, it could be that you have a fantastic behavioral match, except for maybe this one part of the job, in which case carve that part of the job off and give it to somebody else who's a better behavioral match for that. You know, you're you're whether you're collaborative or independent or, you know, if it's like a really um, it's a piece that doesn't require a lot of supervision and, and nobody's going to care if every I is dotted and every T is crossed. If you put a, you know, what I would call a type A personality or somebody who, you know, loves that rule book in that role or give them that piece of the pie, that's, that's going to cause daily friction in their life. So there are times we have to ebb and flow. I mean, I am a, um, you're a maverick. I saw, I saw your assessment. (laughs) I'm a maverick, but I'm, way wider than you like you're the wider your pattern is on on the predictive index and and we could get into you know the details of that but you know just kind of big picture the wider your pattern is on the predictive index behavioral report the louder your how is how you show up so it's like turning up the volume on that personality so um i am fiercely independent and i like what rule book there's no rule book those are suggestions unless i'm going to get sued or lose a ton of money like don't talk to me about rules and so there are times in my business filing taxes um making sure my bookkeeper has everything that they need um following up following up following up on different areas for for my customers I have to flex. It's painful, but I have to flex. So it's not like a get out of jail free card of anything you just don't prefer to do. But by and large, when you're thinking about the five to seven real areas of ownership in a position, for me, that would be public speaker, that would be podcaster, that would be author, that would be consultant who gets in and like deals with really crazy problems and you know, people go like, I don't know, you you just get in there, Amber, and there's all these problems. And then you have like five different ways to solve it. That's using my highest and best gifts. But that doesn't excuse me from having to like follow up and send an invoice. So you just let the cat out of the bag. I'm a maverick. Is that what you are as well? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I am. Yes. All right. I am. Well, so I mean, I it seems like you're doing well. So that that gives me hope. But what does that mean? And what are some of the other possibilities, especially as we're looking at this predictive index behavioral assessment that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about just your, your survey results in particular. So in there's three parts of the behavioral pattern. And the first part is, um, is your DNA. That's the way you're hardwired and that's where you're most effective. It's pretty much stable across your lifetime. On the second graph where it says self-concept, and I know listeners just kind of like hang in there with me, but understand that there's three different pieces that you'll see. So first graph, that's who you are. The second graph just below it is a 90 to 120 day rearview mirror look 
into your life and how the demands of your recent environment are pulling or stretching you in natural or unnatural ways. And and I see a little bit of that here. And I think that's probably reflective of the fact that you are working on your PhD and also, you know, in a small business. And, um, and I can see just a little bit here where you've had to pull back your independent streak and probably pull up your um, the monotony factor because I'm sure that is a part of going and going to school, right? So nothing about that change stresses me out. But if I saw something very significant here and I was interviewing this person, I would I would have some questions around that. Now the bottom graph is a little less interesting. It's just a mathematical combination of the top two graphs. And that is more about the observable behavior over the last 90 to 120 days. So it's like the first graph and the second graph is is what spits out that synthesis. And so this is who's showing up to the interview on that bottom graph. But who's actually going to show up on day 91 is the top graph. So you get to really get a peek underneath the hood on the top two graphs. And the last one, you're kind of like, okay, so this is how you're showing up. I get it. I I see who you are, but you're not going to be duped by that. And nobody's trying to dupe you. It's that they feel like they have to be someone that they're not. And so that's, they're showing up to the interview, trying to be everything that you ever dreamed of and more when really, if we would just allow people to operate how they are, when every pattern is perfect, I mean, everyone is perfect just the way that they are. And if they found the jobs where they were able to thrive in their own gifting and, and, you know, and I'm not against personality assessments. I think you should do those too, but from a hiring perspective and, um, and, and really understanding a fit to role, I think this is the most powerful. So we measure how you value and generate ideas. We measure how you best communicate. We measure what type of environment unleashes your best potential. We measure how many data points it takes to make a decision. And we measure where your basis of judgment comes from. So as I'm looking at you, tell me if this is if this feels right to you, but you tend to make decisions um, more on your previous experiences and your gut instinct as opposed to like data and facts and that sort of thing. Yeah. And this is what I'll say. I think I I will think about uh, scenarios and issues for sometimes a little while. But when I come to making a decision, I go with what seems right. And I think that is kind of an amalgamation of all of the thought and all of the um, data that has come before that decision. Sure. But when I make the decision, the, the decision usually comes pretty fast. So for you, like, obviously, this is fantastic that you're a podcaster. Um, you're high A, which is... Um, that's what measures uh, how you evaluate and ge- or value and generate ideas. So you tend to be more independent than collaborative. It is no mistake that in your bio that I read that you're like, I've always loved being a leader. You know, you see that your your investment in others is ultimately a gift to yourself. And so that's very clear. Um, your high B, which is, you know, I'm more social than reserved. I like to spitball with other people as opposed to, you know, kind of be more introspective and be left alone to gather my thoughts before I talk about it. I mean, you're a podcaster, you're in front of a mic right now, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then that dynamic, uh, drive. I I like competing priorities. I like for things to be um, different every day. I like for things to go a little bit faster than average. I mean, I don't know you well enough to see where that pops in, but um, I know that you are working on your PhD, running a business and doing a podcast, and that's pretty spectacularly uh, shifting priorities. (laughs) Sure. And tell me about this, this rule breaker side of you. What's that about? 
I don't know. I, I feel like there is so much in life. Uh, people, people sometimes um, feel like they have to be a certain thing or do a certain thing. And life is so flexible. Now, there are a lot of constraints that I think are important in life. But mm-hmm. I've always said, uh, for years I've said uh, in describing this to other people, there may be certain boxes that are good to operate within. But within those boxes, within those constraints, there is a lot of fluidity. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't take advantage of that fluidity. They feel like they're too boxed in. But if they realize that the box sometimes is much more expansive than they realize, then as they begin to realize that, they realize there's a lot of room to move around and explore. Mm-hmm. And so I completely agree with you. And it's so easy to get along with and work with someone who understands the world the way that you do. And so you and I would be high-fiving, like playing in the, the box and maybe even busting down a side or two of the box. But if you were managing somebody who was a high D and who really appreciated precision, what that person needs in their work environment is very specific instructions. They need to understand how to get their A. They need for you to give them as much detail as possible for them to know exactly. And it's not micromanaging to them. To them, it sounds like clarity. And so they know, okay, this is the expectation. And if I do these things, then I'm winning. If you were to give that kind of feedback to you or me, we'd be like, why are you micromanaging me? You're such a tool. That's the difference. And so this isn't just about, you know, discovering yourself. It's about understanding how other people operate and being able to honor that in other people as well. So when we're talking about not just hiring, but when we're talking about performance management, we have to understand that in the context of the team, this is what we look like. As we all stack up together, this is what we look like. And so this team is going to be moving in this direction. So for example, if you have um, a real fast growing company or a startup, you're going to have a ton of C's that can juggle priorities and spin on a dime because things change very, very quickly with influx of cash flow or you know whatever that looks like, things might have to shift. And so you do the the low C's are the uh, are the creators of change. If you threw a super crazy high C into that environment, who is actually the person who's going to implement and sustain the change? They're the stabilizers. That might not be a good fit for that particular group at that particular time in the company's history. Maybe you do want a high C, but you want them closer to the midline so that they don't, you know, get bogged down by all these crazy low C's who are constantly changing things. You, you have to look at everything in the context of what are we trying to do? What is the business strategy? What are we trying to accomplish? What are our goals? Okay, fantastic. Now, let's look at who's on the team already. What, where do we have gaps? I mean, I, I've worked, I'm working with a team right now. I'm like, y'all are vitamin D deficient. Nobody mm. wants to follow the rules here. <laughs> we need somebody not too crazy high because then that's going to be con- like, serious conflict. But we need some more high Ds on the team in order to make sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed and that from, you know, inventory or things like that are are really being taken into consideration in um, in a less loosey-goosey way. And so you look at the business strategy, you look at the existing team, and then you look at the role. What does this role require? And then you find the fit to that. And then you build the team from there. So it's it's a very systematic process. And some people say like, oh, my gosh, it's so much work on the front end. And I'm like, well, how does how does interviewing for this role every three months? How's that working out for you? How much time is mm-hmm. that taking from you? Like if you get it right on the front end, then you get to reap the benefits long term. 
Now, I hadn't planned on our conversation even delving into uh, my assessment and things like that. Hopefully, (laughs) though, it's kind of been a nice case study for people to begin thinking about how it can be helpful for them in their businesses. So before we go forward, if this seems like something that could be helpful to people in their businesses or working on their teams, how can people get in contact with you to kind of start that conversation? Absolutely. Um, You can email me, amber at amberhurdle.com. Um, you can go to um, amberhurdle.com and there's a bajillion different ways you can get a hold of me there. Um, and, you know, we'll certainly put you through the assessment and, and see where you're popping up. And we'll have just a great conversation around what your business strategy is and, and maybe where some of the challenges are that are that are keeping you from, um, you know, really getting to that bottom line that you're looking for. And you also offer a free ebook. So if people wanted to start off a little more slowly or wanted to read up a little bit more first, could you explain what that ebook is all about? Yeah, sure. It is um, my, it's our ebook about science and branding. So um, that is certainly something that um, I, I would invite anybody to download. Just go to amberhurdle.com, unite science and branding, all one word, amberhurdle.com, unite science and branding. And this is going to talk about recruiting and retaining top talent by, of course, uniting science and branding. And it'll give you um, just some some ideas around recruiting, interviewing, onboarding, how to retain, um, how to maximize your human capital investment. This is the biggest investment that companies make. I mean, that that's you don't want to screw that up. And then um, we definitely put in tons of research um, and and statistics to back it all up because the the costly mistakes that people make when just trying to fill seats with warm bodies or positions with warm bodies is really um, undercutting the big vision. Now, earlier in our conversation, before we got into the assessment conversation, you mentioned that there were two markers that really helped you to figure out if someone would be a good fit based on their behaviors. What are those two markers? In the pattern, it's A and D. And so what that means to people who have never heard of this before, have never taken the assessment before, seeing where those are on the pattern helps me understand if you're a risk taker or if you're risk averse. So you are A over D, which crosses the midline. So you're real high A, you're decently um, low D. So I know that if I was to put you in a position where you had to be comfortable with risk, be independent, individualistic, and self-confident, you could totally handle that. So for example, if I had somebody who um, was an outsized salesperson, um, I would probably want them to be A over D. If they're an inside salesperson, that's different because you're not out there big game hunting. Um, But if you don't get that one right and somebody is expected to take risks and they're not wired to do that, you're going to be disappointed and they're going to be frustrated. Hmm. So, and, and then vice versa, if you, if you need somebody who's very steady and, and they're risk averse, so think like an accountant or an inventory management person or something like that, those are roles that if you put somebody who is risky business in a role that, you know, they have their finger on the nuke button, you don't want an A over D in that position. So those are the ones that I feel like you really have to get right um, I think we have some flexibility. This is my opinion. This is not science. I don't want to, you know, quote pseudoscience, but in my opinion, um, you know, the social factor I think is a little bit easier to flex on based on my observation. Um, really you want to get all of them pretty, pretty in line, but those are the key factors. And, and so the way that you do that is you have a job assessment 
So that's another tool that this suite of, of tools has. Um, and so you get, you know, about five, three to five people who are familiar with the role. And that could be um, someone who's, you know, already in the role or they're recently in the role and they hit it out of the park. I mean, somebody that is, if you had five more of them, you would just be like, yes, <laughs> that is, uh, we would be just killing it if we had more of those people. Then you would have the the roles manager, their manager once removed, if your organization is large enough for that, and then an executive in charge of that functional area. Again, depending on the size of of the of the company, obviously, if you work for Coca Cola, you're not going to have the senior executive of marketing be informed on every marketing decision. Um, and then someone in human resources just to help round that out. And so each of those people will take a quick assessment and they're easy questions like, will this person be interacting with the community frequently? Will this person be um, using machinery? Is this person doing the same type of work all day long? So very easy questions to answer. And then what that does is it creates a pattern based on everybody's feedback. And if there's discrepancies, then you just hold a quick meeting and go, you know what, I was thinking that, but I think maybe this person probably needs to be a little more social. And you decide on the perfect pattern. And then when you have people apply for the job, they have their pattern created and you overlay it automatically. This, the software does it. It overlays it on the existing pattern that you created with the people who have the highest interest in that job. So you've essentially created an ideal employee profile, just like you create an ideal customer profile when you're trying to market. And you can see if they're going to be a fit or not very quickly. And so you just, you get your top uh, candidates and hopefully you give them the cognitive assessment so you can see how quickly they can ramp up. And if it's a role that, you know, there's not a lot of change, there's not a lot of, um, you know, uh, they don't have a need to quickly learn information, process information and, and move on, then no big deal if it's a lower cognitive score. But if, if you're in a role where somebody needs to quickly catch on and take the ball and run with it, then you're going to be super frustrated if it takes them 18 months to ramp up and you really only have three. So with these two areas, the behavioral assessment and then the cognitive assessment, and then you marry that with the expectations that you created via the job assessment, you have a instantaneous snapshot of whether a candidate is going to be a good fit or not. And I have to throw in there, this is measuring the head. This is one data point. You cannot just depend on a profile to make a decision. You have to mm. look at their heart. What is their interest? What are they... Um, what are their values? Are they a cultural fit? Are they going to follow the same kind of family rules that we abide by in our company? Um, and then you also have to look at their briefcase. You know, what is their experience? Um, where did they go to school? Are they certified in the areas where we need them to be certified? Um, so it takes the, the head, it takes the heart, and it takes a briefcase in order to make that decision. And through, you know, the, the resume, you can look at it quickly with millennials coming in and, and droves and baby boomers, you know, retiring in droves. We've got a 14 year knowledge gap. So that's not super helpful because most of them are not qualified for the jobs that are opening. And that's not their fault. That's just what is. And so you have to go through the interview process to to assess their heart. And then this behavioral assessment and knowing their ability of how quickly they can ramp up really can just negate the fact that there's such a skinny resume um, that they've put across the table to you. 
Well, Amber, we are running low on time. There are so many aspects of <laughs> your story that we didn't get to delve in today, but I'd love it if you would maybe share about where people can learn more about you, especially in your previous podcast, and then float your upcoming podcast to us as well so we can make sure that we are aware of that. Sure. If you'll go to amberhurdle.com forward slash podcast with an S, you can, if if you're a female or just a really brave man, you can listen to my previous podcast called um, the Bombshell Business Podcast. I redefine the term bombshell to mean bold, brave, unwaveringly confident professional woman. Um, we do talk a lot about branding strategies and different business strategies and that. And then we have our upcoming podcast that we are working on right now called the Velvet Machete Branding Podcast, where we talk about how critical it is and the different pieces of branding, including personal brands, leading employer brands, which ultimately serve happy customers, creating fantastic business brands. So we'll look at all three factors there. As well as amberhurdle.com slash unite science and branding. Amber, are there any final thoughts you would like to leave us with or maybe something that you would like to reiterate from our conversation today? Yeah, I think I've probably um, beat this one to death, but I, I just... As somebody who I, I was a teen mom and I started my career behind the eight ball and the the reason why I'm so passionate about branding is because I learned on my journey and you can read this in the first four chapters of the bombshell businesswoman and you could get on Amazon or Books Million or Target or wherever. Um, what I learned is as soon as I identified what people responded to and as, as soon as I identified the type of work environments that I needed to really excel, that's when everything shifted for me. And so when you get yourself, then you can start presenting that to other people. And if somebody doesn't like it, fantastic. They are not for you. But when you understand your greatness, you can start to attract the right people and opportunities into your life. And so I hope that everyone, whether you do Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whatever, or you call me, that you start on your journey to U University. Well, Amber, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you would like to contact Amber so she can give you insight on how you can improve your recruiting and retention process or just your marketing and branding in general, you can email her at amber at amberhurdle.com. And if you would like to receive her free ebook, you can go to amberhurdle.com slash unite science and branding. Now, let's talk about today's three key takeaways. First of all, collect data to help you understand what makes your employees tick so you can empower them to deliver on your brand promise. Now, as you heard in the interview today, this data can be fairly in-depth and complex, or it can be simple. But start somewhere. Begin collecting some data to really help you understand what makes your employees tick. The second key takeaway is that a poor behavioral fit will result in a lost employee. So make sure that you don't only understand your employees so that you can deliver on your brand promise, but make sure that they are the right fit for the job. Because if not, it's going to not only hurt you as an organization when you find yourself with an empty position in a few months, but it's going to hurt that individual as well. You want to make sure that the people that you hire are set up for success and the people that aren't a great fit are maybe even direct it in a better spot. If you are collecting data on them, if you have a better understanding of what their behavioral fit is, if they're not a fit for your organization, you can do them a huge favor and send them somewhere or direct them somewhere where they might be a better fit. And the final key takeaway is this. If it's worth it to create profiles to attract your ideal customer, it should also be worth it to create profiles to attract the right candidate for a job. I think it's easy to look at 
the money that you can receive from customers, but you also can easily forget that it costs an organization money each time you need to hire a new person. Sometimes it's worth investing a little money up front so that you don't have to spend money on a mistake that you made down the road. If you'd like to connect with Amber, you can find ways to do that in the show notes in addition to the ways that we've already mentioned today in the podcast. The show notes will either be displaying on your podcast player or you can go to lifeasleadership.com slash 062. That's lifeasleadership.com slash 062. Now, I hope you're going to join us again on Monday because we're going to be talking to someone who has developed a framework for trust, but he has also devised what he calls the trust equation that is something that you can use to begin having conversations with employees or team members when trust begins to erode. I hope you'll join us then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.